he deserves. He is undeserved. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy. Amen. You alone, Lord, are not saved by our righteousness, but by your righteousness alone. Lord, today, he's our cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without Jesus, without his resurrection, there would be no church. But Lord, because you raised from the dead, the third day, according to the scriptures, Lord, we have a church, a, a people in this world that believes in you. Lord, today, we sang, make me a house of prayer. A lot of people say, how can you be a house of prayer? But we're told in the scriptures that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And therefore, we are a temple. And therefore, when we pray, we are a temple of prayer. Because we pray to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some people pray to a, a God of their own imagination. A God that they can do whatever they want to do. But that God is not God. The only God in the world is the God who sent his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the true God, the one and the only God, the one who came, the one who died, the one who was buried, and the one who is risen the third day, according to the Scriptures. He is God. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for coming into our hearts, Lord. We were once lost, and you found us. We were dead in our sins, and you gave us eternal life. We have a home in this world, but we have a home being prepared for us in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus himself is doing it. He says in John chapter 14, he goes to prepare a place for us. And when he goes to prepare a place for us, he will come again, and he will take us to himself. And there comes that trumpet sound. Lord, we can't wait for that day. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says that the Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who believe in her will be caught up to meet you, Lord, in the air, and thus will ever be with you. And then... Then it says to comfort one another with these words. Job asked this. He said, if a man die, shall he live again? The answer is absolutely yes, because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Lord, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that name is Yeshua. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Thank you, Lord, for being here today. Father, saturate us with your Holy Spirit today as we hear the word. Father, we're going to see today from your scriptures the official rejection of the, of the Pharisees to the to this Lord Jesus Christ. Their official rejection. And it cost them big time. Lord, today... I don't want anybody to reject you. So, Lord, speak to their hearts loud and clear today through your Holy Spirit and give them the courage, the wisdom, the opportunity to receive Christ as, your Savior, as their Savior and their Lord and their God and their Deliverer and their Redeemer and a host of other things that he has provided for us. To you be the glory, Lord God Almighty. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the anointed one of Israel. Amen and amen. God bless the church. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for those online who just tuned in, I know that we're airing right now, and some of you just tuned in. You know, you're listening to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. We're at 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida. We're only a quarter mile west of I-95 on, on, on High Paluxo Road, and we're on the north side of the road. So if you're local, come on by and see us. We're a church that preaches the full gospel of Jesus Christ, not the parts that you, know, that you don't want to hear. We, we still teach on them because we're a full gospel church. 
Listen, um, if you if you want to know our website, it's Freedom Church PB stands for Palm Beach.org. Freedom Church PB.org. If you want to talk to me, the email address is Joe at Freedom Church PB.org. So just add the Joe at before our website, Joe at Freedom Church PB.org. Right now we're airing around the world. You know, we're we're um, we're airing and streaming live every every Sunday at 10 a.m. Every Sunday and every Thursday night we stream at 7.15 p.m. So we'd like you to tune in. Just go to our website and wait for us to start. You know, and, and right now we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 on Thursday nights. We've been studying in Philippians. We just finished chapter 2. We learned about several men in character studies, actually. We learned about Epaphroditus. Any of you hear, heard about him? You know, we, we learned a lot about Epaphroditus, and he was, he was just mentioned a few times in the Scripture. But one thing we do know, he was willing to die for Jesus. I'll tell you what, are we? Are we? And he almost did die, as a matter of fact, Paul said. And he is to be admired among Christians, along with Timothy and along with the Apostle Paul. And we did a quick study on the Apostle Paul. But mostly we spent time on Timothy and mostly Epaphroditus. Not much said, but I tell you one thing, he was sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was all about Jesus for him. Anyway, for if you're local men, we have a Bible study right here at 9 a.m. every Saturday morning. Several churches are represented in the Bible study, and even a pastor from a local church is part of the group which is good because there's unity. You know, the church of Christ is not supposed to be divided. So it's, it's good when that we come together like that. Also, on our website, freedomchurchpb.org, you can read our beliefs. You can find our address. You can see our list of ministries. You can even donate online should you be led by the Holy Spirit. So we thank you. Uh, for all your tithes and offerings, everybody here, everybody online, we thank you. We even get support from another country. Do you know that? In South America. Praise God. And we have several people that were part of this church that still donate to this church. And they left like three to five years ago. And they still donate. And that's the Lord saying, I want you where you're at. You know, don't be upset because the congregation's small. Jesus turned the world upside down with 11 disciples before Paul was brought into the picture. Turned the world upside down. So, you know what? We can turn Palm Beach upside down, this little church. So, praise the Lord. So, listen, we're ready to get into our Bible study, but before we do, I mentioned earlier that, that we're taking communion today. And after communion, we're going to pray for one of our own that's leaving. Um, but after communion, we're going to pray for one of our own. So, um, I want you to, you can pass out the elements now. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. So as the elements are being brought, um, I'm going to read this passage. Luke 22 verse 14 through 23. And when... And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among your, amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which has is, is been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after they laid had, had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of the one who is betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going just as it has been determined. 
but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss amongst themselves which one of them might be who was going to do this thing. Communion, of course, is a very important, something very important the church should do because we have to always remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should never forget it. I think that's why God has Americans eating five times a day so that you can, you can, you can pray, you know, you can pray, you can drink, you can take a piece of meat from your, your dinner table and you can think of his broken body and you can take part of the, the cup that's in your hand and you can remember his shed blood for you. We are never to forget. That's what the Lord's trying to tell us here. We're never to forget what he has done for us. Never. We know that the Son of Man would be betrayed and, and we're going we're gonna to see that as we move through the book of Matthew, but not right this this week. But listen, he said to do this in remembrance of me. This body, the bread that we take, was broken for you, for your healing, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, and mentally. Not just not just physically, not just just spiritually, but many ways. This is the Listen, Jesus' body was broken. It's written in Isaiah chapter 53. His body was broken for us. We should not take it lightly. As we know that Jesus purchased our entire salvation full and clear at the cross, he also did the same thing when his body was broken for us, for those who know the truth. The truth is, if you have a broken body, you can pray and ask the Lord to heal you. And call for the elders of the church, says James, that we can lay hands on you. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, if you, if God, the Lord wasn't going to heal your body, he would, that verse wouldn't even be in the Bible. And there's many other verses to back that one up. So when you interpret Scripture by Scripture, there is healing in the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's partake of it together. And it says, in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is poured out for you. And it is the new covenant in my blood. See, Jesus took away the old covenant to bring in the new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant of sin and death. It was all about their failure. But Jesus made it, corrected it at the cross. Now it's about his blood that was shed for us. And he took away the old covenant of death, and he gave us a new covenant of mercy and grace through his shed blood. A lot of people trample on the blood of Christ. They think it was, it's nonsense. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you reject his precious blood. This was the blood of Almighty God. When this blood hit the ground, the very earth quaked. Before it hit the ground, probably, you know, the thunder and the lightning to the point where the Roman soldier said, Surely this is the Son of God. And as you drink it, this is the blood of remembrance of what our Lord Jesus did, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, becoming the sacrificed lamb. Let's partake together. Praise God. Praise the Lord. If you do that, and if you if you think of that every every time you eat the broken the the, the meat you're eating and the drink you're drinking, if you think of Jesus like that, God wants you to remember Him all the time. Listen, bef I have Theron passing out some cards today. If it's our outline for today, but before we do that, all of you know our brother Harry is uh, moving to North Carolina. Um, you know, we lost Janice a few, a month or so back, which is a, a, a extreme loss, not only to Harry, but to us. And, uh, you know, 
because of that, he's going to he's being barely forced to move to North Carolina because you know the money some money was cut off, and that's what the unfortunately this country does to us. Um, but but he's moving up to North Carolina, so where he would it's most it's going to mostly he's almost for sure it's today. I hope to see him next week. I hope to see him for the next 20 years. But but if he's going to be going, it it's maybe this week, and we want to pray over him and send him out. He's been a faithful, uh, you know, uh, he's a deacon of this church. He's been faithful since the day one of this place. When this place that we sit in, that, that's pretty beautiful right now, you know what I mean? This was a mess when we moved in here. And Harry was by my side every step of the way. And without Harry being there, well, we were 10 years younger then, you know, but uh, without Harry being there, a lot wouldn't have been done that was done. You know, um, you know this door on my left, the emergency exit. You know, used to be a roll-up door, and doesn't look like one now, does it? Harry did it. You can't even tell that that was put in. You know, and he fixed the wall. So, you know what? I'm gonna miss him. He's like my brother, my big brother, and I love him so. And I don't. I'm gonna miss him terribly. But I'm on the phone with him at least. I don't know. Almost every other day, maybe. <laughs> you know. And I think that'll probably continue as he's in North Carolina. But Carrie, come on up. Deacons, come on up. Carrie, come on up here. put you front and center. But you're only front and center of the cross there. Let's lay our hands on Brother Harry. These are our deacons, by the way. This is Harry Baratieri, Theron Woods, and Brian Dixon. They're our deacons of this church. And we're going to be losing a deacon, which uh, <coughs> um, breaks my heart. But. All right, Father, we want to lift up our brother Harry, Lord. We want to lay hands on him and send him away but to let him know that we love him. We're going to miss him. And, Lord, I glean a lot of knowledge from this man as he teaches me the scriptures, Lord. And um, I just pray that that knowledge would keep on increasing through Brother Harry and through myself, Lord, as we as he goes up to North Carolina. The world's being a given a, is pretty much a small place right now. We can go anywhere in the world within hours. And, Lord, it's a small world now, and we can connect every day with no problem. And, Lord, we pray for our brother Harry. We pray that you bless him with health and wealth and prosperity. We pray that you bless him as he stays with his children up in North Carolina. Lord God, as maybe he goes from one place to the next, but right now he's going to be with his son, Vinny. And, Lord, we just thank you that you allowed our lives to cross together. If it wasn't for you, none of us would know this man. But because of you, Lord Jesus, we have become beloved brothers and sisters in Christ with this fellow. And, Lord, we send him away with your blessing, with a broken heart, but yet excitement about what you're going to do with him as he moves to minister more with his family and to make other acquaintances and friends at other churches that he might belong to up in North Carolina. Lord God, we, we bind back the, evil, uh, the enemy and any attacks he might put on, on Harry and his family. Lord God, we pray and, and rebuke the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we have authority to tread on him and no weapon formed against Harry will prosper. Lord, we give you Harry. We're going to miss him. We love him. And to you be the glory. Thank you for bringing him into our life again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen Harry. Love you. Big losses in the last couple of weeks, even the last couple of years, you know. But God's still at work. God's still in control.
So praise the name of the Lord, you know. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to get the first 30 verses. There's 50 verses in this chapter. But I'm going to read uh, the first uh, seven verses to get us started. And you can follow along. You know, my notes are a lot deeper than what you have been passed out. But I want to remind you, on the back table there, I put them back out. On the back table are some of the flyers I've used over the years that I've developed in the different messages that I had. And there's some on the back there that are, there's seven parts to it, and they're stapled together. There's some that there's five parts, and they're stapled together. Listen, it's time we get back to normal. So lately the Lord has been impressing on me to get go back to the way I used to teach with paperwork so that, you know, you're not only hearing it, you're seeing it. You're, you're even writing along with it, so you're using more of your senses, and therefore you're less likely to forget. So, you know, I've, I've, when I was over at, at Calvary as a pastor, you know, I was there for years. I taught for many years, two-hour lecture classes, and, and I printed so many papers. I think I probably printed uh, half a million papers, you know, and... And a lot of people thought it was a waste of paper, and I'm there, no way it can't be a waste of paper. You're getting the Word of God not only in here, but even on these flyers. And you could take these flyers, you could start a Bible study in your home. The outline is that clear in most of them. You could start a Bible study. There's one back there that's seven pages long. It has the seven, uh, the seven last words of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's seven pages long, like this. And you could teach a Bible study for at least seven weeks. Actually, I taught the men's Bible study, which I usually don't do, you know, yesterday. And I used the one that says, the man of God. You know, what, what God expects from the man of God. And we learned many things about it. And there was a lot of interaction. And I taught that many years ago, not to the same group. But we learned a lot more even tomorrow. So if you want to, they're back on the table back there. And I have more that aren't even printed yet. And it's amazing. So let's read the first uh, seven verses of Matthew chapter 12. And as I said, and as we move through this chapter, you're going to see this chapter, you know, actually marks the point where the Jews fully reject Jesus Christ the Messiah. And they begin to look for a way to get him out of the picture. They actually reject Jesus. So, let's read the first seven verses. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, and he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the Scriptures that on the Sabbath the priests of the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocents. That shows you that they have false judgment. Their judgment is inaccurate. It also tells you in another version that it was said, if you knew the one who is here, Jesus is talking about himself. If you had known what this means, I desire companion and not sacrifice, and you would have not condemned the innocent. See, they were condemning the innocent. But in verse 6, he's saying this, I say to you that someone greater than the temple is here. Jesus is talking about himself. He's telling you, me, I'm greater than the temple. 
And we're going to find out that he's not only greater, he is the Lord of the Sabbath itself. So listen, the Jews are going to reject him. I want you to remember this, and it's very important. God has provided everything you need to grow in grace and in knowledge of him. In the book of Matthew, we see Jesus as represented as the king of all kings. We see in Mark that Jesus is the servant of God. It says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see Jesus as the king. We see him also as a servant. Wow, a king, but he's a servant? That doesn't seem to fit, does it? Then we see in Luke that he's the son of a man. He is. He's the son of a man because the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and impregnated her without intercourse, and he was born of a virgin. He's the son of man. He's fully man, 100%. No, you say 50%. No, 100% man. And then John, in the first, first chapter, several verses, and I could give you verses to back all this up. He's, he's seen as the Son of God. He's the Son of God, 100%. He's the Son of Man, 100%. He's fully God. He's fully man, except he laid down part of his, his, his powers to come to earth to be with us. He laid it aside. And when he did that, he had faith that the Father and the Holy Spirit were going to take care of him until we see him from a baby grow into a ministry at age 30. So verse 1 and 2, I'll read them again. This is the new King James. I read out of the New American Standard, but this is the new King James. You can get more information by bouncing back and forth. I use the King James, the new King James, but mostly the New American Standard. And I like it because it gives me a better picture. This is the NIV. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. That means, you know, the Sabbath. I'll explain that in a minute. And his disciples were hungry and began to plunk the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. See, they're, they're following Jesus around, and they're trying to get a reason to get rid of him. In this chapter, after this conversation, they're going to fully reject him. There's no stopping them. They're going to get Jesus and take him out. First of all, it's the Sabbath. We know that the Jews are real strict on the Sabbath, about the Sabbath. Okay? We know they're very strict. Here's what the, the, here's what the Scriptures say about the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, it said, God had commanded Israel to keep the Sabbath. Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, shall do no work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it, or made it holy. Here. The main idea of this passage is that Israel would have rest and blessing to keep the Sabbath day holy. But the, you know what the Jews did? They took these two or three verses, and what they did with it, that man's, man's, um, man's intuition created 24 chapters on how to keep the Sabbath holy. Here's what God says right here, three verses, but they come up with 24 chapters of how to keep it holy. So they really expounded on what God was saying. It was so simple. They are unbelievably extremists. they got to go carry everything to an extreme. And the Talmud, as we know it, is the Hebrew interpretation of the Mosaic Law. It's a Hebrew interpretation. God says it a whole lot more simple, simple in his word. The truth is, it is not a day of the week. The Sabbath is not the day of the week. It used to be. But now, in the New Testament, the new covenant, which Jesus issued in, is now, is now the, a person. 
the Old Covenant, the Sabbath was a day of the week. It was Friday night sunset to Saturday night sunset. But in the New Testament, the Sabbath day is a person. You say, I don't believe that. Well, turn to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So where is your rest now? It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to go out and be a workaholic on Sunday and not make church. I'm telling you, your rest is every day, and it is in a person in Jesus Christ, not just the last day of the week, the seventh day of the week anymore. Jesus took away the old to bring in the new. And the new one is the Sabbath is a person. Now, you can write that on your notes. Hebrews, you say, I don't believe that. He can't... In Take one verse and do it. Oh, yes, you can. No, you can't. I'm sorry. But here's some more verses just to back that up. Here's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 9. And we can pay special attention to the third verse. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that's the Messiah, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body Thou hast prepared for me. What he's saying here is God no longer satisfied with sacrifices and offerings, but he provided the Messiah to come and a body he prepared for him, in whom burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. God didn't take pleasure in all these animals being killed over sacrifice. Then he said, Behold, I have come. Who has come? The Messiah. I have come. Jesus is saying, I have come. In the book of the law, it is written of me. In the scroll of the law, it's written of me. To do your will, O God. What was the will of God? To save mankind from the penalty of his sin, which is death. Death, eternal separation from God. In a place of fire and brimstone, with smoke and ash. God loves you that much that Jesus came. And his sacrifice overrides all those sacrifices in the past. You can't sacrifice anything anymore. Jesus did it all on the cross. He, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Find that in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist, that's what he said. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was the Lamb that was sacrificed for your sins. And Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 8, after saying the above, wait a minute, am I in the right place? Yes, I am. After saying, thou hast, uh, after saying the above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will, to take away the first and to establish the second. Take away the old covenant of death and establish a new covenant of life, which is in Jesus Christ, of grace and of mercy. Chapter 4 of Hebrews and verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. See, if you believe in the Scriptures and you believe in Jesus Christ, for we who have believed enter His rest. That rest, it says here, it's His rest. Just as He has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, your rest is in Jesus Christ now. It's no longer in the day of the week. And Christians, even today, have a problem with this. You can settle all those problems by just putting your rest in Jesus Christ. Because he, he, said, he said it right here, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Now the Jews got extreme, they were extremists about the Sabbath, but here we see that the Sabbath has been changed from a week, from a day, from a day, I'm sorry, to a person. That simple. I get my rest in Jesus. If I'm, if I'm brokenhearted, I go to the Lord Jesus for my rest so that my soul isn't brokenhearted anymore. He takes away our mourning and turns it into joy. That's what Jesus does. It says also here that the disciples are hungry in that first verse. They're hungry, and they began to, to uh, pick the heads of grain and eat. They're hungry. Do you know the Greek word there is pineo, which means famished. It's also the word that is used when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says that Jesus hungered. He was famished. That's what it's saying here. These, these disciples were working their tail off. Like I said, mentioned Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. He worked his tail off to the point where he was exhausted, according to the Greek word in that passage. He was exhausted. And not only him, you can go to 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 4, and there was another guy named Trophimus who worked himself to death. You know what? It shows, said that God healed, God healed, um, you know, uh, Epaphroditus, but he did not heal Trophimus. It's important that we don't burn ourselves out with the gospel. That you, you know, you can get burned out. These guys were to the point of burned out. We need to support, you need to support your churches and whatever ministries you have. Many people in this church, I went over that yesterday with the men at the men's group. Many of us Christians, all of us Christians have gifts, but very few use them. If you have the gift of teaching, I want you to teach on Saturday morning for the men's group. You know, I do. I want you to teach. I'm trying to make not just converts, but disciples. I could teach. I'll teach next week and a week after and a week after that and a week after that. But the point is, I want to make disciples who can teach. So I'm giving them an opportunity in the men's group to teach. So they have to study, and then they can teach. And that way they become a disciple. Because a disciple is a learner, and a learner is, is, becomes a disciple. A learner became, usually ends up a teacher. It's the same word that Jesus hungered in Satan's temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. But herefore, you know, they're accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, and Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath, not according to the, what we just read in uh, Exodus chapter 20. They're going by the Talmud. They are, do you understand what they're doing? They are putting their written word above God's word. And no, it's supposed to be this way. God's word is first, and then your written word better fit into it. They were so ridiculous, and I'm going to get into that probably a little later, on what they expected from what they wrote in the Talmud, which is their interpretation of the Mosaic Law, they are so extreme, it's pathetic. And you're going to see that. And Jesus was not breaking the Mosaic Law. He was breaking their stupid, idiotic tradition and their legalism that they were living in. They began to pluck the heads of grain, which is wheat. And you know what? My dad and I, when I was a little boy, I probably, I started hunting when I was about eight years old. And I quit when I was about 23. But when I was eight years old, we used to go, we used to do the farmers a favor and go shoot the groundhogs, you know, that would burrow under the ground. And then the, the, the uh, farmer would come along with his tractor. And because they burrowed, the tractor would fall into their, their holes because of their shallow holes. And the tractor would fall there, and we'd then have to dig their tractor out. So the, the hunters were doing them a favor by knocking off all the groundhogs. Now, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. You know Punxsutawney Phil? <laughs> you know him. You know what? So, so what, 
What the, I, we used to do when Dad and I would walk through the field with our rifles over our shoulder, there would be in the wheat field, and we would grab the heads of grain, and we'd go like this and blow away the chaff, and we would eat the wheat raw. And that's what they were doing. And the Pharisees are saying, oh, no, you can't do that. Well, the law says this. So when they wrote the Talmud, they forgot about interpreting Scripture by Scripture. So here it is. The law made provision for the hungry. It's written right here, Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. When you come to your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hands, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, the poor, the widows, the orphan could actually eat. This was God's Social Security program, I guess you could say, or, or his, his uh, plan to, to, um, to feed everybody. But you know what? It's not like America where you get a check every month and you sit in your house. They had to actually go out and work to get their food. God had a welfare program. They must work to get their food. And the farmers were to save the edges so that the people could come along and get it. In other words, God was providing for them through the, the, the farmers that were actually much, probably much richer. They would save the edges and the corners. You know, today, the, the tractors and stuff, you know, they go around, they round the corner off. Well, that corner that was left, these people could go and actually pick the wheat. But they couldn't use a sickle. They had to work for it. They had to take off the grains, throw it in their basket or whatever. You know, there's a perfect picture of that in the book of Ruth. When Ruth, you know, the Midianite, the 12th generation, because or the 11th generation, because the 10th generation was cursed to the Midianites for attacking the Hebrews when they came out of Egypt. But Ruth was a Midianite, and she chose to be with Naomi, her, um, her mother-in-law. And Naomi uh, told her that, you know, um, what's his name, uh, Boaz was a family member, and he is someone that she could marry. So what happened? Boaz found favor with her, and she found favor with Boaz to the point where Boaz told his men, when you go, Boaz was very rich, he, when you go out and glean a field, drop a lot of grain on the ground so that Ruth could pick it up. You know, he, he was infatuated with her, and she was infatuated with him. And he made sure that his men dropped a lot of grain. And she came back with bushels to Naomi and says, how many bushels did you say I got five or ten bushels? I forget what it was. She said, how did you get so much? Well, Boaz liked her. And he told his men to drop, drop it perfectly so she could pick it up. And they did end up getting married. And she became, and he became, the great, grandparents of the great King David. Listen, you apply Scripture by Scripture. That's something the Jews didn't seem to do, and it was wrong, and Jesus is going to rebuke them heavily because of it, and they're going to reject him totally. Three examples to illustrate the Pharisees are enforcing their standards and not God's. That's on your on your card there in the purple uh, block. There's three examples to illustrate the Pharisees are enforcing their standards of the Talmud versus the Mosaic Law. Again, they're putting their word above God's word, and it isn't that way, church. It's God's word above your word. If God's word says something that you don't like, know this: you're wrong. You're wrong. And that's where the church makes a lot of mistakes today. Not just the church, but individuals. You heard Charles Stanley this morning. He was talking about prayer. And he's talking about praying. You know why you don't get your prayers answered? Because you're not praying to the one and only true God. You, you're praying to a God who, who made, you made up in your imagination. It's okay to live with your girlfriend. It's okay to, to, uh, to have um, intercourse with, with a like uh, 
person, a man with a man and a woman with woman. That isn't what the Word of God says in Romans chapter 1. God loves you so much, He doesn't want you to do these things. Because if you read 1 Corinthians 1 closely, it says you will reap in your own body the results, the consequence of this sin. But man, you want to put your God, you know, you want to put your God in place of the true God, and that's why your prayers aren't answered, because you're praying to something that isn't living. You're, but we that know the true God through Jesus Christ, we're praying to the true God, and therefore we can pray fervently, and we can know that God will answer our prayers. It might not be a week. Hey, I prayed for 18 years for my dad's salvation. You can't give up. A soldier never quits, and you are a soldier of Christ. An athlete, Second Timothy, again, chapter 2 and verse 3 or 4, you know, or 5. An athlete keeps his eyes on the prize, the focus. I talked about Epaphroditus. I talked about Timothy. I talked about Paul on Thursday night in character studies. And one thing those three guys had, they were focused. They're focused on Jesus Christ and Him alone. His death, His resurrection, and they, they weren't letting anybody stop them. Paul's in prison, chained to Christian, to, to uh, Roman soldiers, and he's saying, I'm chained, but the gospel hasn't changed. So point number one, verse three and four. But he said to them, Have you not read when, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only the priests. Here's point number one. Point number one in your notes. Human need supersedes the law. This is what Jesus is telling them. Human need supersedes the law. David could do it. They were famished too. So were the disciples as they walked through the grain field. They were famished. Same with David and his men. They were famished. So here's what. Human need surpasses or supersedes the Mosaic law. In other words, people are more important. Do you see that? God loves you so much, he sent his son. So much. He sent his son. So David gives them an example. Again, he's taking their, their legalism of the Talmud that they wrote, and he's applying Scripture to it and telling them, you, you reversed it, guys. And they don't like that. They don't like it. They don't want to change their traditions. They like it. You know what? There's a lot of people in the world that, you know, that, that don't like that don't like some of the Christian traditions. A lot of them have adopted worldly, worldly things about the traditions. You know, they, we know that Jesus came at Christmas, but we forget about Christmas, and all we focus on is, is the present that people is going to give us. When the true vision is focus on the gift that God gave you, His Son. And they miss the truth. And that's what they were doing here. They're missing the truth. David and even the priest, Amalek, he knew that it was okay to eat the showbread for him and his men because human need supersedes the law. And he gave David the bread. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 21, the first 15 verses. I think that's all the verses that are in that chapter. They ate the consecrated bread of the presence. Here's, here's what they did. Human needs supersede the law. Imagine that you're a woman, and you're about this far to give labor to your son. And you're driving down, down the I-95 at 85 miles an hour, and a cop pulls you over. A cop that pulls you over and sees this lady in the back seat practically giving birth is not going to give you a ticket. You know what he's going to do? He's going to escort you to the hospital, or himself, maybe if he was trained, 
would deliver the baby right there. But I would bet he would not give a ticket. And that's what God is, Jesus is telling them. Wise up. Judge correctly. They forgot Micah 6, 8. Oh, man, what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. They have no mercy. They don't care about Jesus' men dying. Jesus is going to tell them in the next verses, Hey, I can do what I want. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees really have lost touch with reality. And that's what happens in legalism and tradition. You lose face with the reality. Listen, there's churches in the air so legalistic that, that if you have a tattoo, you're not welcome there. Come on, be ridiculous. God's going to send you to hell because you have a tattoo that you got before you were born again, or even if you got it after you were born again. You know what? You know, Isaiah 49, 47, something like that. It says that God has you engraved on the palms of his hands. Not one palm, two palms. Do you know what engraving is? It's like a tattoo, isn't it? Listen, don't get legalistic on me. God, human need comes before law. So if you got a tattoo and you come up front and you're born again, God's going to accept you whether you have a tattoo or not. He isn't worried about a tattoo. That's an outward sign of something that you did. Big deal. You know what he wants? He wants your heart. That's it. Don't get legalistic. These guys were so legalistic, they missed the Messiah. And Jesus told them, you didn't know these things are going to happen to you because you did not know the day of your visitation. They had no idea that Messiah was here, even though the people knew. Because hey, you, a few weeks ago, we were, we were talking about people throwing palm branches on the ground and their coats on the donkey and their coats on the ground so that Messiah could ride into Jerusalem on a white donkey colt to proclaim that God is bringing peace to men. They get all legalistic and they miss the truth. And there's other things. It's not just a tattoo. It's like, oh, you can't dye your hair. Come on. God's going to send you to hell because you can't dye your hair. What God do you serve? God loved you so much he sent his son, but he's going to send you to hell because you dyed your hair? No way. It's legalism. It's tradition. It's stupid. And it blinds you from the truth. They lost touch with reality. Point number two. Number one, human need supports the law, so surpasses, supersedes the law. Number two, point number two, verses five and six of chapter 12 of Matthew. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm here. They didn't recognize who he was. They didn't even want to hear this. He's saying, I, I, the Messiah, am here. I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the king. So point number two is my disciples are serving me. The Messiah. See, but they don't, they don't think he's the Messiah. They think he's a, a rebel trying to draw people away from Judaism. No, he wasn't. He was trying to fulfill the Old Testament to bring in the New Testament because there was many scriptures that had to be fulfilled in the Old Testament, 365 to be exact, that had to be fulfilled. And he was fulfilling those scriptures, and then it was finished when he cried out, is last. It is finished. It is completely perfect. <laughs> Point number two, my disciples are serving me. I am here. I, the Messiah, am here, but they don't believe it. He's referring to himself. Verse number three, point number three, Matthew 12, 7 and 8. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have condemned, would not have condemned condemned the guiltless for the son of man is lord of the sabbath he's telling listen god desires mercy not sacrifice god would rather be merciful to you than anything else 
He is merciful to you. He's so merciful to you that he sent his only begotten son. And all you got to do is believe in him, and you will not perish. You're going to have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't like sacrifice. These people, these Pharisees, they have a merciless heart and a warped sense of judgment. They don't get it. You know what? I always tell everybody, most men that are educated by worldly standards are really stupid. I'm telling you, the higher the education you've got, most people, they, they, they trust in themselves rather than God. Listen, you've you got to remember this. You've been trained in man's knowledge. This book trains you in God's knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, right? So, point number three is, for the Son of Man is, Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus has priority over the Sabbath day. And he's trying to let them know, but they're so blind, they, they, they won't see the true picture. So what does Jesus do? So we see that human needs more important than, than the law. We see that Jesus' disciples are serving him, and we see that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath day. So what does Jesus do? He's going to prove to them who he is. So what does he do in verse 10, 9 and 10? Now, when he had departed from there, they're following him around now, remember this. He went into their synagogue. Now he's in the synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Here's the question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Hey, let me, let me take it. Let's go practical. If my puppy dog went out into the yard and was running around and broke her black leg, would I wait till the Sabbath was over to go her, get her to the, the veterinarian? No. No. God loves his, his all creation. He loves what he created. Listen, I'm not going to wait. Jesus, you know, talks about, about verse 11 and 12. Here it is. When he said to them, then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Come on. These People probably didn't care too much about doggies back then, but if their lamb fell into a pitch, a pit, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna let them down there the whole time. They're gonna get them out. And Jesus is telling them, "You don't understand. You are so blind, you can't even see." So what's it, what's he's telling you? Listen, if you would get your lamb out of a ditch, or take your puppy to the veterinarian. And shouldn't God heal people that are sick, even if because it's the Sabbath day? Come on, where's your warped sense of judgment? You're, you know, they forgot Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly. That isn't justice. To, to love mercy. That isn't mercy. And to walk humbly. That isn't humility. These guys are warped. They're out of their mind. They're going to totally reject Jesus Christ and look for a way to condemn him. They, you know, human need is more important than the law. You would do it for a, your lamb. You would do it for your puppy dog. But you won't do it for a man that has a withered hand all his life. And not only that, Jesus prays and does good, and this man is healed right before their very eyes. I don't know, but if you had a withered hand, Probably couldn't even raise his hand. Probably could use one hand. And then right before their eyes, Jesus prays for them, and his limb becomes whole and begins to move around. And they know this guy. It wasn't like, you know, living in Miami where there's millions of people. It's like these little towns had few people in it, and everybody practically knew everybody. You know, my hometown in, in 
just outside of Pittsburgh was like 2,000, 3,000 people. We knew just about everybody. My dad was the town barber. Everybody knew my dad. Back then, the newspapers were in the barber shop. It was a bulletin board. All the news came to the barber shop, and so did the bookies. It came to the barber shop. Now, my dad was broke, so he wasn't a bush bookie. He couldn't even buy us a popsicle for six cents. Listen, then he's trying to tell him, then a man who has greater value than a sheep deserves help. He deserves help. God does not prohibit healing on the Sabbath. And you know how many times Jesus did that? He healed on the Sabbath. He's trying to show these guys how their hearts have become so hardened and, and, and so cruel because of their laws and regulations and traditions and their stupid religious rituals. Common sense. Listen, common sense tells you to get the lamb out of the pit. Doesn't it? Just common. God gave you common sense. Use it. That's what I was saying about a lot of people with high degrees. They lost their common sense. Because you just takes common sense in a lot of cases to figure out what's right. And in this case, you know what? If I knew I could heal somebody of blindness in this congregation, and I'm going to say to God, no, God, I can't do it. It's Sunday or it's Saturday. It's a Sabbath. You know what? It might not be available the next day. You can do what God says when he says to do it. And that's what Jesus did. He did everything the Father told him to do. Verse 13 and 14. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out, and the New American Standard says, immediately, and plotted against him that they might destroy him. Mark says, that Jesus looked around at them and was angry. They were so blind they couldn't see. But he was angry, but he did not sin, as you well know. And their plan, when a man is threatened, what do they want to do? They want to eliminate the threat. And Jesus was threatening. Uh, he was... He was threatening the entire Jewish hierarchy because he was the Messiah. 400 years had passed before Messiah started, before God started speaking again to Israel, from Micah to, to the, the gospel to when Jesus arrived. It was 400, just a little bit more had passed. God didn't speak to them. He was so upset with what was going on, and they just continued to get worse and worse and worse as the 400 years moved on. And now they want to destroy Jesus. He was grieved in his heart at, at what they were doing. He was grieved at the hardness of their heart. And at this point, they fully reject Jesus. They fully reject Jesus. They have no love. They have no mercy. They have no compassion. And they have no heart for people. But then, verse 15, 17, But then Jesus, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and a great multitude followed them, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet. It was not time for him to be revealed yet to the whole, whole of Israel. He was operating by, by being under a time schedule according to Daniel chapter 9. He had to be in Jerusalem and recognized the Messiah 483 years after the signing of the edit to rebuild Jerusalem and Judea and the wall and the, and the temple. 
and that time had not come yet. It was just a few weeks or a few years off from this point. The 173,880 days were not complete yet, but when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that colt of a donkey, that day had come for him to be fully known. And they cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The people knew, but those that were merciless, had no heart, they had no love, had no compassion, were blind as bats. And by Jesus doing this, he fulfills the ninth prophecy. And we'll continue there next week. But know this, church. Don't be hard-hearted. God loves everybody. He puts value on men. He doesn't care if you're a mass murderer. He loves you. He doesn't care if you're the worst sinner on the face of the earth. He loves you. Even John, the apostle, said to Jesus when he caught that great bunch of fish that, that Jesus told him to throw his nets on the other side of the boat, and Peter's there, no, no, Lord, we fished all night. There ain't nothing. He said, throw them on the other side. But because you said so, I'll throw them on the other side of the lake, uh, other side of the boat. He does. He pulls up, what, 254 fish or something like that. And he said to the, to the Lord when he recognized right there who he was, he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You know, I said that uh, probably twice yesterday and a couple days before that. Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. But please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit. I'm so sinful. Even though you think you're perfect, you are full of sin. There's sins that you don't even know about that God would like to work on you before he takes you home. But you've been forgiven. You've been, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's his righteousness that walks you into the kingdom of heaven, not your own. We're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory to God. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Paul tells Titus this way. He saved you, not on the basis of the deeds you have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. He saved you according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing, renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's what God has done for you. He's a loving God. And if you want to put your faith in him today, know this, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Know this, that your need supersedes the Sabbath and supersedes your sin. And your need is to know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Put your faith in him by confessing with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and this is important, believing in your heart that he raised you from the dead, and you will be saved. Father, we thank you, Father, for your beautiful word, Lord, so beautiful. Lord God, we can't glean all the beauty within it of our salvations. Lord, I pray that you, you move on people's hearts that may have heard this message today and draw them to the living Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.